0: Good morning, everyone. Let me see if I remember how to do this. It's been a couple weeks. It's great to be back with all of you this morning. It is great to be home with my church family here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. And so whether you're here in person or on the live stream, let me take this opportunity to welcome you this morning to our time of worship. What we pray will be a rich and warm and joyful time of celebrating our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, allow me to introduce myself. Maybe some of you forgot who I am. Uh, my name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian. And if you are visiting with us this morning, we want to offer a very warm welcome to you. We hope that as you came in, you were greeted in a friendly manner and invited to pick up one of our what we call goodie bags. It gives you a little bit of information about us, as well as provides you with, I think, some fun stuff for your enjoyment as well. I would like to invite all of you to sign the friendship pads that are at the end of your aisle. And so if you're sitting in an aisle seat, this is where I get to pretend I work for Southwest Airlines. If you're sitting in an aisle seat, get it. if you don't want to take care of the responsibilities, now's the time to switch with somebody. Okay, don't they do that one yet? I haven't flown in a long time. But if you're sitting in an aisle seat, Get that pad started, sign in, let us know you're here. The goal of it is not anything uh, where we're trying to be invasive or anything. It's a friendship pad. We are looking to invite you to friendship with us. That's a major purpose of what we're doing here at Lake Oconee. Now, if you have bulletins, want to pull them out, let me just highlight a couple of different announcements before we enter into worship. This morning, we will be coming before the Lord to allow him to feed us at his table. So I love these days where it's both word and sacrament, where we're fed through the word and we're fed at the table. And so hopefully and prayerfully, our hearts are prepared to come before uh, the Lord's Supper. This to me looks very exciting on the night of August 2nd from 6 to 8 p.m. right out here in the parking lot Uh, we're going to be having what's called a National Night Out, which is an event that is observed annually by many, many communities across the United States. And what it is is an opportunity for us to get to know our neighbors and to interact, especially with things like the sheriff's office, the fire department, the medical services, the hospitals. So anybody who's a part of Lake Oconee Presbyterian is invited to come on out and to join us. As it says here Food is provided, I'm kind of looking forward to this, hot dogs, chips, cookies, and drinks, those are some of my favorite things, by the way, uh, are being provided by Sebastian Cove's uh, HOA. So we want to invite you to that. We are very excited that English as a second language is starting up again. And so we are having an organizational meeting two weeks from today, July 31st, at 3 p.m., in rooms 111 and 112, Uh, Megan, who worked for a long time in ESL, will be giving us some uh, kind of leading a session based on her years of experience. If you have an interest, whether it's being a part of it, helping, teaching, whatever role it is, please see Russell Puppy. Russell, raise your hand so they know who you are. Russell Puppy, he is kind of our administrator, organizer, coordinator of this very, very essential ministry. One other note uh, beginning, you know, you know what summertime is. A lot we do a lot of planning in the summer, getting ready for the fall, and so both ladies and men's community Bible studies will be meeting here at the church again in the fall, and pre-registration is open. So you have information on who to call, how to go about doing that, both for ladies and men's community Bible study, and so now, friends, as we listen to the prelude, let's listen reflectively, uh, exalting the Lord, preparing our hearts for worship this morning.
1: Grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, the rolling sea, while the, the world like the of peace. grace, the frogs of days, graceful me even me, broader than the scope of my transgression, greater for than all my sin, sin and shame. Oh, and shame. magnify oh, the precious the name of Jesus. Jesus. grace Christ of Jesus. For than the mighty Greater rolling sea, the rolling sea of All you see, the rolling sea. see, why the you miracles, like The false of faith, false of me, for even me, broader than the scope of my right. transgression. transgression, it's it. greater for than all my sin and shame. i
0: so much, Amy. Thanks for joining in. That's what we're here to do this morning, to magnify the name of Jesus. You know, Psalm 139 talks about how the Lord has searched us and known us, so he knows exactly your condition as you enter into worship this morning. Some of us are on top of the world. Some of us are feeling really down. We may be struggling with medical things, we're struggling with relationships, struggling with uncertainty. Part of the wonderful grace of Jesus is that he sees us, and that he knows us, and that he understands us, and that he longs for us. He doesn't want us to put on a mask. He sees beneath the mask. He wants us to take off the mask and come as we are, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Friends, hear the call to worship. From Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, think about that. You have no resources. You have nothing to bring to the Lord but your sin, your lonely self. But he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace of Jesus. I ask your forgiveness. We don't even understand fully your grace, and sometimes we think your grace can be for other people, but maybe not for me. May there be nobody here like that today. May we receive your grace for us personally, individually, and corporately as a church. And may your love be spread abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom you have given to us, so that out of the overflowing of love, we would love you in return and love one another. We invoke your presence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to join with us that we may magnify your glorious name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing praise together, all creatures
2: of our God and King.
0: themes throughout the scriptures is how every single one of us, part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we are worshipers. Whether you're a non-Christian, a Christian, a follower of Jesus or not, because we're created by God, we worship. And so if you don't worship Jesus, doesn't mean you're not worshiping in the technical sense in that way. There is no such thing as an atheist. Everybody is worshiping something. And if you turn away from Jesus, you're worshiping something else. And the Bible calls that idolatry, calls that idols. Idols are not always and not necessarily bad things. They're things we are looking to, our hearts are latching on to, we're clinging to in order to save ourselves. Some of us go, my life only has meaning if I have a relationship. My life only has meaning if my kids and grandkids are doing well. My life only has meaning. I only have significance. I'll confess mine if I preach a good sermon and I'm doing okay as a pastor. Good, nobody left. I thought you'd all walk out and go home. What kind of church have I come to that the pastor admits that that's his idol? Yes, I'm a sinner saved by grace along with the rest of you. Our need of confession in Isaiah 55, verses 2 and 3, reminds us in a way that none of us can save ourselves. Isaiah says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? In other words, you're spending your resources looking for life in things that are powerless to give you life. They will not come through for you. Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. We come before the Lord to confess our sin, and that doesn't just mean where we've broken the rules. That means, what is it in your life? Ask the Lord to search you. What are you looking to for meaning and for security and for significance that you're holding on to maybe a little too tightly? The invitation to confession is listen diligently to the Lord through his word. Eat what is good, what will truly satisfy your soul. Turn to the Lord that you may live. Let me give you a few moments to engage with the Lord personally, and then we will pray this corporate confession of sin. So you'll hear me kind of lead us in, saying, let us pray together, and we will pray together our corporate confession of sin. Let us pray. Friends, let us pray together. Forgive us, O Lord, for everything that spoils our home life. For the moodiness and irritability that make us difficult to live with. For the insensitivity that makes us careless of the feelings of others. For the selfishness that makes life harder for others. Forgive us, O Lord, for everything that spoils our witness for you. That we so often deny with our lives what we say with our lips, for the difference between our creed and our conduct, our profession and our practice, for any example that makes it easier for people to criticize your church or for another to sin. Grant that at the foot of the cross we may find our burdens rolled away and so strengthen us by your spirit that in the days to come we may live more nearly as we ought through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And friends, hear and receive the assurance of pardon from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon God's word is true. Not one word of God fails. So if God has declared you to be forgiven and righteous because of Jesus Christ, no matter how you feel, guess what you are? You are forgiven and righteous. Friends, let's stand and sing together our song of praise. How great is our God. Someone like me. How could he approve of us? How could he love us with such a perfect love? How great indeed is our God. Let's commune with this God in our time of prayer. We will pray together in unison the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Friends, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we praise you for who you are. We do set your name apart as holy. We do worship who you are. Thank you that you are our Father, that we belong together as a family, that we're not just doing church this morning. Worship is not a program. We are your treasured possession. We are your royal priesthood. We are set apart to come and worship your name. We are bearing witness to the world that Jesus is raised from the dead. That the resurrection is true and he has inaugurated his new world. We are bearing witness that you are the world's true king. That you are the Lord and that there is none other. You are our father. We are brothers and sisters together in Christ. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters this morning. We continue to lift up dear Doug Hesse and Jean. Lord, we join with you. We know that you hate cancer. And we hate cancer and we long for every enemy of yours, Lord Jesus, to be put under your feet as a footstool. We long for the final conquering of all things, of death included. We pray that you comfort our dear brother. Lord, I thank you so much that I look out and I see Susan and Tom Porter with us this morning. What a joy to worship with our brother and sister. Lord, I Pray for Mike and Peggy Roberts this morning. Ask that you would continue to be with them. Lord, I thank you. There are many others. I know I'm not listing every name. We pray for our body. We pray for our family. We pray, Father, for those who are not a part of our local congregation. We pray for the church here at Lake Oconee. We pray for the church worldwide. We pray for renewal and revival. We ask, Lord, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that we would be a people that does justice, loves kindness, and walks humbly with our God, that we would again bear witness, making you believable and beautiful to the world. We depend upon you for our daily bread. And we continually ask forgiveness. May we be chief repenters. May we in our witness, not witness to some holiness that we don't have, but witness to the holiness of Jesus. And so we need, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us not into temptation. The evil one knows our weaknesses, our particular weaknesses. He knows where we are vulnerable. Please protect us. Deliver us from the evil one. And we recognize and we acknowledge that yours is the kingdom. Forgive us that we try to retain power for ourselves. We try to make our own kingdoms all around us. When yours and yours alone is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. earlier. It's so good to be back at uh, my home church. I miss preaching. Be ready. I I don't promise you what time we get home today. I haven't preached in three weeks. And if I'm a little loud, let me ask forgiveness and go from there. Put in your earplugs whatever you need. Remember, I I just said I haven't preached in three weeks. You think I'm energetic on a regular Sunday? This is pent-up energy now. This could be really dangerous. I'll try to be well-behaved. I want to publicly thank Dr. Joe King and Jason Cornwell for, I don't know whether they listened to the live stream or not, but I'm grateful for uh, brothers and colleagues in the ministry and friends to come and faithfully preach the word. Uh, Evie and I did have a wonderful vacation. Uh, We were at General Assembly first. That wasn't part of vacation, but that was part 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 of our responsibility. I will write up a recap at some point in time, to share with you uh, what went on there. But we were there for a week and then our dear friends Robert and Melissa joined us here and we spent some time in Asheville, North Carolina. So we got to see the mountains a little bit. Evie had been to the Biltmore and I had never been there so we got a chance to do that. Then we came back and some of you might have seen me incognito on the 4th of July. You know, who's that unshaven short guy there who maybe grew a little taller walking around great waters? Yeah, that was me. So we came back for the 4th, wanted Robert and Melissa to experience a little bit of that, and then when they went back to Oklahoma, we went to Jekyll Island and St. Simon's Island, enjoyed a few days there. So it was just great, for, very good for Evie and I to just have some time, just us, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, how grateful for we are for you as a congregation, loving us so well. We just feel like we're home and this is family. And so... As we turn in the scriptures this morning, let's pause and pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, your word says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Lord, how freeing that is that my role here is to simply be a herald and a messenger of your word. And so as your word goes out to all of our ears and hearts and minds, thank you for the promise it does not return to you empty. It will accomplish what you have set out for it to accomplish And so we look for that transformation. What you've set out for to accomplish is to progressively transform us, making us more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, bearing witness to his reality in the world. And so may this be a small part in forming us after the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you have Bibles or whatever device you happen to be using, I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And before I read the text, just kind of a reminder of what we're doing. Before I left, we started a series, a series that I titled, Why the Church? In other words, what is the purpose of the church? Why in the world does God have this institution, this entity, this organism, this organization, this people here called the church? And what we're doing is I'm dividing this into three parts. And the first part is to look at some foundational passages that speak of what we are terming the missional church. That is the nature and purpose of the church. In other words, the church, by definition, is missional. Put it this way. If the church is not missional, it is not church. It may be a great organization, might be a great club. You go to a club, you go to a country club, play golf, whether it's at Reynolds or any of these places, and you pay your dues, you get to play golf. You get to have dinner at some nice places. You get to do all stuff. That is a club. You pay your dues and you do some fun things. The church is not a club. The church is the body of Christ that we learned in looking at Genesis chapter 12 and the missional call of Abraham, something I would call the Old Testament Great Commission. The church is founded on the promise and given the vocation and the call, all nations of the earth shall be blessed through you. That means we have the vocation of bringing the good news to the world. That's why we're here. That's why suffering still is going on. Because the full number of God's family has not yet been brought into the fold. God is still calling sinners from every tongue and tribe and nation and language into His family through the ministry of the local church. We have been given the vocation to bring healing and renewal and peace to the community around us. Friends, that is God's plan A. And he doesn't have a plan B. Now, I don't know if I, you know, I love sports. You all know I love sports. See, it, proof of grace being what founded this church and sets this church apart and all that is you accepted this Yankee into your southern roots and southern home and all of that. And you know I'm a New York Yankees fan. And I sit and I love to, I love April to October because I get to watch the Yankee games. But you want to know what I am? And I know I'm mixing metaphors and mixing sports here. I'm an armchair quarterback. So yes, if you heard me last night, it was me on the sofa going, Brian Cashman, why won't you make that trade? What are you doing? That's your strategy? You've got to be kidding me. And I picked that in the Yankees, won 14 to one last night, so I shouldn't have been complaining, you know, but I confessed my sins this morning. God has a strategy. And that is, he's given his bride, his people, his treasured possession, a vocation to live out the gospel in such a way that we bring healing and peace and renewal to Lake Oconee. That's why we're here. Now this morning, one of the foundational passages that talk about God's strategy is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. For the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of the opening passages in the book of Acts. We're not going through all 28 chapters, but we're going to look at a couple of texts out of chapters 1 and 2 that prepare the church for mission, the reason we're here. You have your devices pulled up, you're on that Wi-Fi, you've done what you need to do, you ready? Let's hear the text from Acts chapter 1. "...for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses." Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves us. Okay, the author of the book of Acts, when it says right there in verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, we have a clue. The author is the evangelist, Luke, the same writer of the gospel of Luke. So in other words, we have a sequel here. Okay, no, this is not Top Gun Maverick followed Top Gun, but like you have all of the movies, I mean, I looked at the movies that are playing now. We've got Top Gun sequel. We've got Jurassic World sequel. You know, is Spider-Man Part 8 coming out? Or Superman Part 22 coming out? Okay? Here is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So thus, as our text begins, he says in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, even in the first verses of the Gospel of Luke, he's saying, this is only the beginning of the story. I'm only giving you chapter 1. The story continues. And now we get to Acts, and here's the continuation of the story. Acts is the sequel to Luke. Now, who was Luke? Luke, we learn, was a physician. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. According to most commentators, the book of Acts was probably written around A.D. 60, and they say around that date because there was a monumental event that happened in A.D. 64, this great fire that happened, and the emperor there was a man by the name of Nero who happened to blame and persecute Christians for that particular fire. Interesting in the book of Acts, Nero's not mentioned, so most people think Acts was probably written before that. We learn that the purpose of the book of Acts was to record a true historical development of the early church, focusing on the progress of the gospel, why the church is here. To take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, like concentric circles, Jerusalem, its center. For us, we could consider that Putnam County, Greene County, Morgan County, our Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria, the southeast of the United States, other places in the the United States, to the ends of the earth. Yes, we are to have a global missions emphasis. Why? God's plan A. And say with me, He doesn't have a plan B. The book of Acts gives us the historical record of the development of the gospel. Now, we also learn that a major theme of this is the kingdom of God. The text tells us that by many proofs he presented himself alive to them. So in other words, the kingdom of God based on his resurrection during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. N.T. Wright commentating on this passage says, Jesus' transformed body, Jesus' resurrected body, is now the beginning of God's new creation. The resurrection of the Jesus who died under the weight of the world's evil is now the foundation of the new world, God's new world. And he Wright titles the book of Acts, The Deeds and Teachings of King Jesus, Part 2. What we are called to do, Jesus is enthroned as king. He has inaugurated his kingdom. That means he's only begun it. We are called, this is verse 8, and this is where we're going to kind of camp this morning. Verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is enthroned as king, the world's true Lord. Here's our vocation. Why the church? To be heralds. You know what a herald is? The herald is a messenger. We don't produ- the herald does not produce the results. The herald does not necessarily have to say, oh, I'm a great herald, I produce great results, or boy, I really stink as a herald, no results. No. The herald simply announces the good news. Our job is to be witnesses announcing the good news to the world. Our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, this morning, what we want to do is we want to look briefly at Jesus preparing his apostles, and guess what? Preparing us for this vocation, for this mission. So, let's do so under three headings. Yes, I've been gone for three weeks. That was a lengthy introduction. I could say I'm sorry, not really sorry. I told you, a lot of pent up energy. Three headings a missional church is community based, a missional church is empowered by the Spirit. And a missional church is always focused outward. Spirit empowerment, community basis, movement mindset. Those are three characteristics of the missional church. First of all, the community basis. In verse 8, when Jesus says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, very important that you is second person plural. That means the community The apostles, the church, are to be witnesses, will receive the power of the Spirit. Jesus' program is for the community. He is building a new society. He's recreating a new humanity, a city set on a hill, an alternative or a contrast community to reflect and be an agent of his kingdom. George Hunsberger, in his book, Missional Church, speaks of the church or community community representing the reign or kingdom of God. He says the church represents the divine reign as its sign and foretaste and agent and instrument. He says it is a sign and foretaste of God's redeeming purpose for the world and as agent and instrument representing God's reign in an active sense. By its very existence, the church brings what is hidden into view as sign and into experience as foretaste. That means our job, our vocation, we bear witness by making visible, making seen what people in the community can't see. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, what living under the lordship of Christ is all about. We make visible the invisible kingdom by our lives, by our speech, by our focus, by our priorities, by our witness. Let me ask a question. Are we a church that's for or a church that's against? There are many churches that are against things. Many churches that I'm afraid are reflecting our culture by fighting culture wars. We're against this. We're against this. We're going to take a stand and be against this. I'm convinced Jesus calls us to be a church for. For truth. This doesn't compromise truth in any way, shape, or form. For justice, for love, for care, for healing. And by being a church that's for, we are making visible the invisible kingdom of God. Now, how do we go about doing this? We need to understand, first of all, community is a very hot topic today. All sorts of books and literature on the topic, And it's not merely a theoretical problem. We all know something of the joys and difficulties of community. We know the sweetness of being loved and embraced. Working together on a mission. Working together for a cause. Laying down our own personal agenda for the good of someone else. The power it gives us to focus on a task or mission together. We all... Let's see. Do you remember the show Cheers from way back when? Don't we love to come to a place where... Everybody knows your name. We know something of the joy of community. But we also know something of the pain and sorrow of community. We know something of the the loneliness and the isolation. The pain of being alone, walking into a room wondering, will anyone know my name? Will anyone remember who I am? The alienation of a lack of community, the fear and shame and vulnerability about the commitment that's involved in community? This is an intensely practical issue. It is also an intensely theological issue, very important issue from a theological or discipleship perspective. We are built for community. Our very essence is relational because we are made in the image of God, and God's very essence is relational. I'll get you memorizing scripture, and I'll have you doing the easiest beginning of a verse possible—four words. You all can do it. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1, the beginning of verse 1. Who is this God? That in the beginning, we know all the things he does—he creates and he forms and is all this. But in the beginning, God, we learn that this God is tri-personal; he's Trinity. Tim Keller introduces us in his book, The Reason for a God, to a term from the early Greek church. The term is called perichoresis, meaning to dance or to flow around. It's the roots of our word choreography. He says the Trinity, God, is in essence relational. And quoting C.S. Lewis, he says, when the early Greek Christians spoke of perichoresis in God, they meant that each divine person harbors the other's at the very center of his being. In Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing nor a static thing, not even just one person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The pattern of this three-personal life is the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. Do you hear that? community is at the center of reality. Being relational is the essence of being human because you're made in the image of God. We live in an age in a world of expressive individualism. Let me be me. Freedom is all about me. We're God, We're going against the grain of reality. God has created us to be together. God has created us to be a family. Whether you're married or widowed or single, or whatever your condition, your family is meant to be the church of Jesus Christ. One of the ways we exemplify the gospel and make it visible is our life of community. That's the first point. The community basis of this vocation. Second, the spirit empowerment. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Spirit brings power. As Paul says later to his protege, disciple Timothy, and I have to quote this all the time to myself, because whether you know it or not, I struggle with fear. I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with, what will they think of me? Anybody else struggle with those kinds of things? Am I alone in this? I doubt it. Paul says to Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. God's love has been shed abroad, poured into our hearts. This is a reality of being a Christian, Romans 5 says, through the Holy Spirit whom has he, he has given us. And what kind of spirit is that? That is a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. And what is that power to be used for? It is to propel us outward in witness. And we say witness to what and for what? The answer is the renewal of the whole world. We are witnessing to the kingship, the resurrection and the kingdom of Christ. And the kingdom of God is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. The word, the spirit and the church, the place where the word and the spirit dwell. The Spirit not only empowers us, but also gifts us, gifts His church to renew the world and establish His kingdom. Now, what are some of the implications for this? First of all, how do we appropriate this power? How do we receive it? It says, you will receive power. How do we do this? This is intensely simple, intensely practical, and intensely hard at the same time. The simple answer, and yet the hard answer, is prayer. Prayer. You receive it through prayer. I included this quote in your reflection. So you have it, you can take it home with you. No little encouragement there, right? It's a quote from Jack Miller in his book, Powerful Evangelism for the Powerless. And he writes, God provides a means for us to appropriate the Spirit's power in our lives and a means for non-Christians to be prepared to receive the word. That means is prayer. Prayer. Prayer breaks down our self-sufficiency. Prayer is our door of access to the Heavenly Father through which, as His adopted sons and daughters, we receive grace to do His work. And what is His work? Bring renewal, healing, and peace, the good news of the gospel to our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the work we've been given. And the power is the power of the Spirit. And that word power, same word that's used in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that says the gospel is the power of God. It's the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. Friends, do you believe that you have the dynamite of God? We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you Do you realize that's why I say the hope for the world is not a program, not an agenda, not politics, not an organization. The hope for the world is the church renewed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're not gospel-centered, we're not a church. If we're not missional, we're not a church. And we have the very dunamis of God to enable. None of you have to do this in your own power. Do you know how freeing that is? This is not a pep talk. I'm telling the men sang We need you guys Carlton, Ken, get back up here and sing wonderful grace of Jesus. We need round two. This is the dunamis of God. This is what you have. Friends, let's begin to possess possessions. You possess the Holy Spirit. He's been given to you. But I'm too weak. I I can't share Christ with my neighbor. Oh, only the Holy Spirit, the dunamis of God. Wait a second. What if they ask me a question I don't know? You're free. The power is given to you. Say you don't know. It's OK. Might be an incredible witness to not be so proud and say, "I don't know." Community basis, spirit empowerment. Lastly, movement mindset, and outreach focus. The remainder of this verse says you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, we need to recognize the gospel is a living power. It constantly moves and infiltrates our hearts, minds, and lives so that the gospel may reach all the cultures of the world, transforming them according to God's kingdom purposes. See, do you believe that? Do you believe that the gospel can change anyone? That there is no one that is outside the potential reach of the gospel. There is no one who's so down and out that he's unreachable. There is no sin so great that it can't be reached with the blood of Jesus Christ. Can't be reached with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No shame, no isolation, no failure so great that it can't be plunged into the heart of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ is wonderful. Does take away all our sins. But what hinders us? See, what hinders us from having this kind of movement mindset, an outward orientation? Well, look at the text, because this text tells us there are a couple things that can hinder the church from its outward focus. Things that can be good things, but can become distractions. First of all, verse 6. The apostles are hearing this. They're talking. They're having this 40-day... Wouldn't you love to have a 40-day seminar with the resurrected Jesus, by the way? Can you think to yourself, what questions would I ask? What would I ask Jesus in this 40-day seminar? He's speaking about the kingdom. Here's what the apostles asked him, so this will tell you, and I call this a wrong priority. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. The resurrected Jesus is talking about this. Remember how Luke ended his first volume? Chapter 24? Doing things like having breakfast with them, walking through walls, talking with a couple of the brothers on the road to Emmaus, their hearts burning as he's talking about the gospel and what happened and stuff like that. And there... And this is wrong priority, and we can have wrong priority. I'm going to say something very dangerous for a second. Don't throw tomatoes or water bottles at me. But they're more interested in making Israel great again. Wrong priority. They may be right in certain things. We could be right in our policies and stuff. But it's not priority of the church. And Jesus tells them that right away. I have a good friend, Ray Cortez, down in Florida. And he used to tell his people, he would sit there and say, if Jesus were to walk in the sanctuary, he would be wearing neither a MAGA hat or a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. He would be wearing a shirt that says, I am the king. One of the things that can hinder us from our witness is a misplaced priorities fighting culture wars wrong priority looking for power wrong priority second wrong priority look with me at verse 10 11. i'll call this wrong focus jesus gives them the commission gives them the vocation and then verse 10 says while they were gazing into heaven two men stood by them in white robes so they're more than likely angels And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? In other words, get busy. Jesus just gave you a commission. Why are you heaven-gazing? Jesus will return. You've been left here on earth to do a job, to bring healing, renewal, and peace to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You're busy gazing into heaven. Get busy. And the first thing that they did, we'll learn this next week when we look at Acts 1, 12 to 26. See, I'm hoping you'll come back next week. Is they prayed. The first step to preparing for mission and preparing their hearts for mission was prayer. They were together and they were praying. Why? Because they knew the power was not from themselves. The power was from God. And they were praying for that power. They were waiting for that power. Friends, we need to have a mindset of thinking on a larger kingdom scale. God has us here because he's not done reaching Lake Oconee. That doesn't mean we are to take people from one church and ship them to another church. That's called sheep sorting. The Great Commission is not go and sheep sort, sort sheep. I'll try to say that three times fast this afternoon. That is not the mission or vocation of the church. We are called to be witnesses and be used by Christ to bear witness to redemption, to renewal, healing, and peace to those who don't know it, to, Lord, willing, and this is what we pray for the power for, to see people go from death to life, to be converted, to go from hell to heaven, to go from a life where they they may have all the riches in the world. They may think they have everything, but if you don't have Christ, you really have nothing. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? Why do you spend all your labor? You work and you work and you work and you work and you work. You're on a treadmill, and it does not satisfy. Jesus is saying, get off the treadmill. Be yoked to me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The movement described in verse 8 is a global mindset. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Can you imagine Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church filled with three to 400 people, converts from the area, coming from death to life, big enough that we have to, hmm, plant another church, send where people gripped so much by the vocation of the gospel that 75 to 100 of you are saying like Isaiah, here am I, send me. I'll go to Eatonton, I'll go to Greensboro, I'll go to Madison. Let's plant another church. And then we grow to three to 400 again. And we do what? We plant another church. And maybe we partner with other churches in the United States and maybe even globally to plant other churches because the gospel is moving. It's a living power moving from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we say, that's why we're here. That's why We exist. I know this is a big, humbling, and adventurous vision, but how big and how great is our God? How big is our God that we worship, that we serve, that we love, who has called us? Let's get on the Whitewater Rapids and have some fun. What do you think? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this text. Thank you for your word, life-giving word. We give you praise for And Lord, I pray that we'd be captured by the vision of the gospel. I ask, Father, that our hearts would just be in love with you, Jesus. Your word does not return to you empty, but accomplishes what you have set out for to accomplish. May it bear fruit in our lives as we now come to your table to be fed, to be nourished, to be nurtured, to be loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand together. We will sing the first three verses of Jesus, What a
2: Friend for Sinners as the elders come forward for the Lord's Supper. you mm-hmm.
0: Jesus is now inviting us to his table where he is the host, where he's offering hospitality of his own body, his own blood, to feed his weak family with himself. The Apostle Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, if you are a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of his body, the church, you are invited to come and partake of his meal, of his supper. Later in this invitation these words that the Apostle Paul is speaking to a local congregation, the congregation at Corinth, he talks about taking, participating in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he defines that as recognizing the body of the Lord, and that has at least two aspects. The first is recognizing Jesus' body that was given for you. And so when we invite baptized believers who are part of the church, we're inviting those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That means you have, doesn't mean you're perfect, have it all together. Remember our call to worship from about an hour ago? We come as a mess. We come as we are. And we entrust ourselves to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We plunge our failures into Him. If you're trusting Him, you recognize the body of Christ given for you. The body of Christ is also each other. One of the struggles that the Corinthian church was having. There's all sorts of divisions in the church. So Paul was warning them about being divided, about looking down upon, being resentful, being bitter. He's not saying everybody is everybody else's best friend, but he's saying, do you realize these are people for whom Jesus died? We're family. This is Jesus' family meal. So I invite Do you recognize the body of the Lord, that we are God's new society, we are God's community. So this is an opportunity for us to recognize we belong to Christ and we belong to one another. So friends, my hope is everyone here is trusting in Jesus Christ. And if you are not, I invite you to, maybe today is the day of salvation for you. I invite you to come to Christ. Doesn't mean you understand it all. You don't have to. I've been a follower of Jesus for over 40 years. I think I may have one third of my thumbnail of what I understand. So it's not about having every question answered. It is not about understanding everything. It's about saying I'm going. And it's not a blind leap of faith, but I'm going to take a step of faith based on the fact that "Hmm, I've been looking at my life and maybe the things I do really don't satisfy. Maybe I need something more. And I'll take a step of faith and trust in Jesus. Friends, let's pray and ask the Lord to set apart these elements for his holy use. Father we thank you that your very nature is to give. We were looking earlier this morning at how you exist as a tripersonal triune god as a community having each other as at the center of your being. And then when I draw that further and think why do you create? It's not because you had there's anything lacking in you. You didn't have a need you created because at the very heart of your being is to give love and to share love. And Lord, we see this even in this sacrament. You give us your word to share love. You give us each other, and you give us this sacrament as a way of sharing love, giving (laughs) grace, saying to us, we need to be fed. We're weak. We're lonely. We have guilt. We have shame. We fear rejection. We need Jesus Christ. Feed us now, we pray. We set apart these elements, ordinary elements for their holy use. In Jesus' name, amen. After giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you. also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it. Father, you demonstrate your own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Thank you for reminding us of that, sealing that truth to our hearts and to our lives. May we remember that, appropriate it in prayer and through the various means of grace you've given to us. Continue to transform us and change us, making us more and more like Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's close our service singing the final two verses of Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners.